Well, um, shall we um, someone offer a prayer? Bob, would you offer a prayer to start us off here? And sure will. Ask God's blessing. Give thanks for our food. <laughs> Father, we just come to you today uh, just to thank you for who you are. Uh, thank you for the time that we're able to spend together. Thank you for Bob and the message that he's going to bring to us today just to get us closer to you. Father, I ask that you bless the food that we're about to get to nourish our bodies and to bless us to your service always. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay, we we're moving along here. Chapter eight. Truly, truly God, and truly man. Defining the nature is the title, the subtitle. But, but actually, it's, it's a matter of defining the natures, yeah. two natures, right? Um, <coughs> why don't we start off by taking a look at Philippians chapter 2. Familiar passage. This uh, in verse five, he says, <clears throat> "Okay, you said one pancake. What else you want today? Scrambled, scrambled. It. Scrambled today? No push, no easy. Okay, because I only said one pancake, you and I was like, her. I know. I was like, what? <laughs> Which one are you changing on me? <laughs> scrambled. That's why I couldn't." <laughs> Verse 5. What kind of attitude are we supposed to have? We, you know, there's a Christian attitude and there's a non-Christian attitude, isn't there? Mm-hmm. There's Christian behavior. And there's Christian doctrine. And there's also a certain Christian attitude, isn't there? That's important. We've been studying, we're studying doctrine here, but uh, the next few verses, which which uh, are define our doctrine or give us our doctrine about the natures of Christ, are really their main purpose. Paul's main purpose here is is really not so much to tell us about the two natures of Christ, of Jesus. The purpose, the purpose is to to emphasize the attitude, isn't it? This is the attitude you, you have. What kind of, and so what is that attitude? What is the verse? Verse 3 and 4. 6, uh, six uh, and 7 and 8 say. Somebody read 6, 7, and 8. You want to read that sound? Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, 
being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Okay. Now that's the attitude we're supposed to have. <laughs> the attitude that no matter who we are, Jesus, Christ Jesus, was was in very nature God. Uh, the footnote says in the form of God, doesn't it? I don't know what does the King James say. Verse it says uh, to he uh, being equal to who being in the form of God, form of thought God. it not robbery okay. to be equal to God. In the form, and this translation, the international says, in the very nature of God, yeah. <clears throat> very, very just like just like God, just the form or like or the very nature of God. He and apparently he equal with God. He, he, has, he has equality with God. He's, he's not less than God. But he didn't consider it something to hold on to. That kind of uh, exalted status wasn't something I've got to, I've got to keep. But did, what did he do? Made himself nothing. Became a servant. Right. And uh, and becoming in human likeness, which is a that's a step down from a deity, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, big step down. That's a step big down. Step. Yeah. <laughs> And in fact, he he humbled himself and became obedient even to death. To to humble yourself under the arm of the Roman government the, and the un, and the uh, and the persecutors of the Jews. To, so the, this the nature of God of Jesus as in the form of God, the nature of God, and also now in, as a man. That illustrates an attitude, doesn't it? And that's what Paul is trying to tell us. And so, I just want to emphasize that. That the doctrine is important. But really what we're, he's trying to point out here is that there's an attitude. That if we really believe that that our Lord, Christ Jesus, our Savior, Messiah, if he humbled himself, then, you know, obviously, if we're his disciples, we have to take that same attitude, don't we? <clears throat> now, there, we looked at the Nicene Creed. You guys, um, Bob, you and Sal, Kind of missed out on the Nicene Creed. <laughs> the, uh, which is found on page 25, <clears throat> which was uh, really kind of the the way the church settled the controversies about <clears throat> uh, the deity of Christ. Uh, <clears throat> Anybody want more coffee?
This uh, section on the creed is three sections of the Father, the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. The section on the Son, and we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only begotten Son of God. He's begotten by the Father before all ages. In other words, He doesn't have a beginning. The Son is eternal just as, as the Father is eternal. He is God from God, light from light, true God from true God. They're really <coughs> emphasizing, you know, the Son is truly divine deity, equal with God, isn't it? Begotten, he's not made, he's not created. There, this was a, is an important what we studied last week, that difference between begotten. Now, what, what's begotten of a tiger is a tiger. Mm -hmm. What's begotten of a human is a human. It's the same thing, and same nature. So since the Son is begotten of the Father, He has exactly the same nature, doesn't He? Uh, so this is a statement about the deity of Christ. But this, this, this poses a, a dilemma now. Point number two on your outline here. <clears throat> Jesus is divine. He's God of God, of the same substance as the Father. But he is also human. Yeah. Uh, no, nobody ever... Well, uh, the only people who questioned that were the Gnostics. But the apostles... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, all the writings in the New Testament says, you know, that in fact, that's the Antichrist to deny that he came in the flesh. Right. You know, uh, the, the New Testament teaches very, very clearly that Jesus was a man. He was really a human being. So he's divine, but he's also human. He, in fact, he died. He was made flesh and was crucified. The, the uh, creed says. Now here's a dilemma. But God is immortal. He can't die. <laughs> but Jesus is God and he died. <laughs> How is it possible to unite in one person the mortal human nature with the immortal divine nature? There's your good puzzle, isn't it? Yeah. He had the nature of God and the nature of man, both. <laughs> Hard to understand. Now this, uh, it's interesting, the question, uh, it kind of got focused on this term theotokos. And the literal, the theo means God, and the autocosis, it means uh, bearer of or giving birth to. And it was applied to Mary. Mary was, uh, in, the, in the early church, they started using this term in reference to Mary. She is the mother of God. 
Well, if Jesus is divine, if he is God, she was his mother, wasn't she? The mother of God. Uh, so Mary was called the mother of God, Theotokos. <coughs> but <coughs> there was a little difference uh, in the church. Uh, it was headed up by a bishop in Syria or in, or in Antioch. That was the uh, and uh, the one in the, uh, Alexandria, Egypt. And uh, uh, a bishop by the name of Cyril, Cyril, Cyril of Alexandria. Nestorius objected to the term. He said, we really shouldn't use the term theotokos. We really shouldn't say Mary is the mother of God. In fact, let me ask you guys, do you think that, would you feel comfortable speaking of Mary as the mother of God? Just do a little survey here. I don't see the point, but... That pan poor pancake. Okay. I have to come and ask for some of this. That is. You could have just passed them over. Yeah. I'm gonna go over. Again, you get into that the nature of. Jesus has the nature of God and the nature of man, both. So it's hard to, you know, it's hard to understand how Mary could be the mother of God. She's obviously the mother of Jesus. You don't want to brunch there, right? Huh? No, I don't need to brunch. Thank you. It is difficult to understand. How that works. You know, you guys want hot sauce or anything? Okay. To me, it's kind of funny that this would be such a topic since the whole idea of, of there being a human aspect and a spiritual aspect to somebody is, is core to all of our beliefs. I mean, the, the fact that Scripture tells us that there were there are tasks prepared to us from the beginning from the beginning of time that you know means that there's something about us that exists and existed prior to this us getting this body that we have. We know that who we are exists beyond this body and that this body is not the body we'll have you know when when Christ comes comes yeah. in and we're, so, and we're the, raised are you saying they also existed before this body I think scripture tells us that he existed before this body right as a what? and will exist after this some body kind of, as a spiritual kind of like being because when we when we when this body dies well yeah we, we agreed that that death is not the end mm -hmm. but the question is 
is birth the beginning? That's the question. You're saying that we existed before we were born. I think that scripture tells us that. Where does it say that? Well, it says that it says that God prepared tasks for us to do from the beginning of time. For me specifically. Yeah. So so there had to be a meaning for him to prepare those tasks for, I think. And it says that he knitted us he knitted us in our in our parents' wombs. He knew us, you know, so he, he knew me I believe he knew me from the point of conception in my mother's womb. Right. When I was just a cell, so that had nothing to do with this body, which means there had to be something else that he knew beyond this body. But I, I even if you don't consider prior to, I think that's heresy. <laughs> no, because because you're, it would be heresy if I, if I thought I always existed. Well, you're saying you're no, no. I'm saying I existed prior to this body, but I was still created by Him. I created at some point before you were born. Was yes. It? Yeah. And and that's that's not unreasonable considering the fact that when this body dies, I'm going to continue living. I'm going to continue being. What about Adam? No, I, Adam was created. At a given at a given point in time, just yeah. like I was created at a given point in time, but I don't know when that time was. But Adam existed before before he was created. No, I don't think so. No, none of us existed before we were created. But Adam was born. That's true. Adam was created in body and spirit at right. the, at the same time. At the same time, yeah. I don't believe we were. Well, that's interesting. But I know. Yeah. And that doesn't seem contradictory to me. I don't think that's the general consensus of the church then. But, you know, but, maybe the, but the general consensus of the church is, it could is, be that, is that when this body dies, I don't, I don't, end, I don't cease to exist. Right? Right. So if I can exist afterward, about this body, there's no contradiction saying I may have existed, I may have been created prior to this body. Certainly God doesn't need this body to create the spiritual being that I am. In fact, he's going to throw this body away and give me a new body. <laughs> Hopefully a better one. <laughs> one that will work for a long time. <laughs> well, this is the uh, what you're saying is the viewpoint of Plato. That is a Platonic view. That, uh, we had this prior spiritual existence. That's who we really are. Uh, but anyway, uh, the uh, what about what about calling Mary the mother of God? Then do you feel comfortable with that? Depends on what you ascribe to that. Well, I mean, just using the term. Oh. I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with that. 
I don't have a problem so with that. So if Rich, uh, Rich got up and was preaching a sermon and referred to Mary, the mother of God, then you'd be okay with that. She was certainly the mother of Jesus. Uh, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Well, Nestorius, Nestorius said he didn't think it was appropriate. He said, <clears throat> he said, uh, Mary is, is Christotokos. Christotokos. She's the mother of Christ. Right. And of course, Christ is divine, but he proposed that we only use that term because he says this, we want to, there is a clear, more of a clear distinction between the divine and human natures in Christ. So he was, he was trying to keep that distinction really clear. Uh, whereas to call Mary the mother of God, that emphasizes just like, almost like he's got just one nature. And it minimizes or kind of ignores the fact that, you know, that, that he's human. But Cyril, Cyril of Alexander, he, he countered that the two natures, he says they're so closely joined in Jesus that it's entirely right. They're so, so close together that it's entirely right and proper to, to say that Mary is God's mother. So, you know, it, it's... I guess the point number six here, the problem is how to think and speak of Christ so that you maintain the reality of both natures, both the human and divine. Which, you know, the, the New Testament seems to refer to both, does refer to both being on an equality with God, but became a man. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Right. Right. So, how do you maintain the reality of both and at the same time not think of Jesus sometimes acting as a man and sometimes as a without making Jesus schizophrenic? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and some people would say, uh, for example, why, how could Jesus be sinless? How could he resist temptation? Uh, right? He was tempted in all points as we are, mm -hmm. Hebrews says. And the New Testament talks specifically about temptations that he had before he started his ministry. And I think there was also a temptation right at the end. There was a temptation to avoid the cross. He said, I could bring down 10 thousand angels. I don't have to go to the cross. And he didn't really want to, did he? <laughs> he was, I think he was struggled in the garden. That was the greatest temptation he probably ever faced. Of course, if he had done what the devil had wanted, he would never have had to go to the cross. Satan could have given him all this power mm -hmm. to start with, right? 
So how is Jesus able to resist when, when none of us are? Because he had a divine nature as well because as a human divine. nature. That's what a lot of people would say. Yeah. So you see, you're saying, well, he's God. <laughs> But you know something you know something no one else has ever had. In a sense, he but, but God Himself can't be tempted. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't the scripture say God can't be tempted? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But in our worldly minds now, you're making it way more difficult for us because now it's like we know the rest of the story and we see it as like and I still can't get my head wrapped around that. That you can be here and here. So that would be that would be one of those sermons where if Rick said that Mary was the the mother of God, people go, Oh that's what oh but then you start thinking about it, it's like, oh no, now I'm really confused. <laughs> There's certain that would be one of those five hour buckle in, we're gonna explain mm -hmm. this. There's certain things in the Bible you have to take by faith. You our human minds can't comprehend two natures in one person. And I, and I, I think that's talk, one. I'm going to talk a little more about why Jesus uh, resisted temptation. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was because he was divine. He resisted temptation because, as a human being, he was tempted. How did he resist temptation? By his total reliance and, and submission to the Father. Total reliance upon God. Total faith in His Father. That's why we sin when we do sin. At the point that, that we're sinning, somehow or other, we are actually in rebellion against our, our but Heavenly if he, Father. But if He only had a human nature, he wouldn't be able to do that. How do we resist? We do resist temptation sometimes, don't we? Sometimes. How do you do that? It's by dependence upon God. You don't do it in your own power. True. And we know that Jesus did live, right? He came to do the Father's will. And, and He only, He was in constant communion with the Father. Prayer. So, but, but when you start saying that Jesus could resist him, I think you're pulling out, you know, you're making him like a little God walking on earth rather than a human being who is also God but who depends upon the Father. <laughs> That was one of the questions I have. The the, the arguments. Well, Cyril emphasized the unity, and uh, the arguments for and against these positions are there on pages 80 through 86. That's kind of the heart of this chapter.
that story is so hard, you know, that... <laughs> The eternal God, God who is eternal, without beginning, without end, couldn't have spent nine months in a woman's womb and been born. Does that make sense? Could God spend nine months in a womb? <coughs> When did the incarnation happen? At the moment of conception? <laughs> Mary, he says, gave birth to the physical, physical body of Jesus. She didn't give birth to the Logos, the divine word which was eternal and with God from the beginning. But Cyril said that the central purpose of the Incarnation was to save humanity from sin and death. So if the, the Logos was only kind of superficially associated, just kind of connected like, you know, holding hands like this the divine connected with the nature if they're just sort of but still very distinct and separate then the work of the redemption was emptied of its power for only God could save from sin and death so it's the fact that Jesus is divine means that he is the one who has can save us from sin who has the power of, of over there. Well, we we're kind of told that we're kind of told that John, even in the womb, recognized Jesus in the womb. Yeah. And that he, he jumped in Elizabeth's belly yeah. when Elizabeth met Mary. Uh, so that kind of I mean, it doesn't explicitly say 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 that, but the, the fact that they recognize one another kind of implies that there was there was identity there already, you know, even prior to actual delivery. Now, yeah. We don't know if that happens at conception. We don't know, you know, and you know, to me, when Scripture doesn't tell us something, it's it's more an implication of you really don't need to know that. Because <laughs> if you needed to know that, I would have told you. <laughs> but, but clearly, it's before delivery. You know, mm -hmm. that somewhere, somewhere in the in the in the development, you know, the, the spiritual aspect, the spiritual being was there as well as well. The prophecies, you know, that speak of the coming of the Messiah. They speak of the Messiah being born of the seed of David, coming in the, as a descendant of the line of David. But do the Old Testament prophecies, do they really say that the Messiah will also be God in the flesh, the way the New Testament talks about Jesus? I'm not, I don't 
think no, that there are prophecies that specify that, are there? No, it doesn't, it doesn't really say that directly. And, and you kind of wouldn't expect that because that would have been hard for Jewish theology to deal with. Well, it was hard in the first century. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. It's still hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's, hard. it's hard. The whole concept of the Trinity is difficult. And really, we don't we don't see the implication. We don't know. We don't know the Holy Spirit's work in the life of Jesus. It's not really talked about until he says he has to go away. You know, is, is, is that, maybe that's why he was able to, as a man, he was still able to uh, resist temptation and stuff like that. Was was he indwelled with the spirit, you know, while he was, while he was here? I mean, uh, my original, you know, my first thought about that would be, yeah, because that's that's what he had planned for us. He kind of equates himself with the Holy Spirit. He said, I will send you another comfort. It's kind of, right. I am the comfort. I am your helper now. I am God, your helper with you now, but I will send you, since I won't be here in, in physical presence, I'll send you another comfort. So he, well, he equate, won't be limited by, by my physical presence. He equates himself with the spirit, doesn't he? <coughs> the spirit then is equated with him. Oh, three really one, what right? He is he is doing with his own disciples on earth. <coughs> and and it is through the Holy Spirit that Christ is present with us today, isn't it? The, well, there, uh, the, there was a council that met in Chalcedon, 451, that came up with a creed which made us made this statement, <coughs> trying to kind of say, okay, how do we how do we look at the two natures, the divine and human? On page 88. So let's let's read that. Right Wherefore, somebody, well, I'll just read this and we'll stop and kind of look at it and we'll go through it. Following the Holy Fathers, so they so they're claiming, you know, they're, they're kind of following the Apostolic Fathers, trying to stay consistent with what the, the fathers of the church have been teaching. We all, with one voice, confess our Lord Jesus Christ, one and the same Son, the same perfect in Godhead, the same perfect in manhood. We confess Jesus Christ, perfect, complete, the word perfect really probably here doesn't mean sinless perfection so much. It's just complete, uh, nothing lacking in, in his deity. He's fully God. And the same perfect in manhood. There's nothing lacking. He's as much he's as much a human being as any of us. What is it whatever it means to be human, he was human. 
The word means to be God. He was God. Right? Truly God and truly man. That just sounds like a contradiction in terms that. Well, that's what that's so hard for us to understand. That we're just confessing. Yeah, right. Both. Yeah. The same consisting of a reasonable soul and a body. <coughs> the, uh, sometimes people make a distinction between spirit and soul. Uh, that seems to come later. I don't think in uh, not, there's nothing in scripture that makes that distinction that we have both a spirit and a soul. But uh, this reason, this this that says we, our soul is a reasonable soul. It's a it's a thinking and rational soul that we have compared to the animals. They have a soul too. The word soul really refers to the principle of life that makes what whatever whatever it means to live. That's the soul that gives the life to just matter, physical matter. That's the difference between physical matter and living matter, the life within it. It's the soul. Now that may sound... Uh, I don't think I've heard, people ever heard think thing. of animals as having souls. Yeah, right? right. I've never heard that before. That's interesting. But humans beings have a reasonable soul. This uh, uh, mind that we have, and, and Christ, he says, is, has a reasonable soul and a body. He's that's that's what it means to be human. But he's of one substance with the fa uh, Father, is touching the God, is touching the God. One substance, one being, one. <coughs> Whatever makes God God, He's the same, has the same, and of the same substance with us. He's just like us. Now, does that also mean that He is? He is. We're. Well, let me ask you this: Are we? Do we have the same nature that Adam had, or have, has our nature become corrupted? Do we have a fallen human nature, different from Adam? If something happened with Adam and Eve when they first sinned and turned away from God. They, <coughs> they had a fallen human nature or they wouldn't have sinned and turned away from God. I mean, there's some, you know, there's a debate about whether even did Jesus have a fallen human nature or a nature that was untainted by the fall. <coughs> well, 
This says he was like us in all things, apart from sin. He did, he did not sin. He had to be sinless to be the perfect, the perfect lamb, right? He had to be sinless to, to be the perfect sacrifice. Right. But the, the creed in the end just simply says he's both. It doesn't give any explanation of how this could be. It doesn't, in some way, it's hard for in our minds, you know, how do you put it together that here's this human being who is like me and you, but it's also God. Well, we, he was tempted, so, but he was sinless, so we know that being tempted isn't a sin. It's only when you give in to the temptation. Right. right. Well, you know, it, it, this doesn't, in some ways, it, it doesn't make sense rationally that you can be bold at the same time. <laughs> but that's what we confess about Jesus. And that, that is a scandal. It's a stumbling block for the unbeliever. <clears throat> but uh, the greed says it's both. And of course, and then he goes on to talk about what he did for us. That he was... Uh, he was begotten of the Father before the ages. It's touching his Godhead. He was eternally begotten. He's eternal. And the same in the last days for us and for our salvation was born from the Virgin Mary. And then they call him the Theotokos. He is called Theotokos in the verse, in the creed. As touching the manhood born in the same Christ. Only begotten to be acknowledged in two natures, the two natures without confusion. In other words, you make a there is a distinction. You can tell the difference, uh, and without change, the natures didn't change. The, the God nature is still God in Him. The human nature is still human. And it's without division. They're not divided. They're not confused, but they're not divided. Without separation. The distinction of natures being in no way abolished because of the union. They're still distinct, but they're united. But rather the characteristic property of each nature being preserved and concurring into one person of one substance. Now this word person is the, is the Greek word prosopon, which originally referred to the masks that were worn in the Greek plays. And the masks you know, helped identify the character. In fact, there were no women that performed in Greek plays, but if there was a woman in that was supposed to be a part of it, they would have the mask of a woman. So that 
that uh, that's what prosopol is really referred to. But it came to be we we translated as person, and here um, it talks about Christ now as as uh, as uh, yeah, where is that phrase here? Natures. Yeah, the two natures concurring into one person and of one substance. It's not like if Christ were parted and provided into two persons. But somehow or other, this, this face that we see, which we call the person, he has both natures. They're distinct, but they're joined together into one person to one substance. As the only begotten God, Word, and, um, He is the begotten of God and the Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So all those terms. The Son, the begotten of God, the Word, the Lord, Jesus Christ, even as the prophets from the beginning spoke concerning Him, and our Lord Jesus Christ instructed us, and the creed of the Fathers is handed down to us. So, that was the, that was the Orthodox, or the Church's Creed, 451, which, uh, I guess Christianity in general has subscribed to. And when, when was that written? 451. 451. Let's go back to Philippians 2. Where, where this is really brought out most clearly in, you know, that he was on an equality with God in the form of God of the nature of God but became man and humbled himself the point of that the point of understanding that he is this God who is also man is to show us what kind of attitude we should have. So maybe instead of getting our minds all bent out of shape trying to understand how it could be both, we would, what Paul would hope is that we learn to humble ourselves and live our lives with the same kind of attitude. So I hope, you know, you guys, when you leave here, that you don't fret over much yeah. about how can this possibly be. As I said, re it, remember, remember to have this attitude of you. There's certain things you have to accept. You know, you believe it or you don't believe it. And, and I just happen to believe that, that Christ had two aspects. He was fully man and fully God. 
you know, one of those things, we don't understand it, we've never seen it in anybody else, know that, but, you know, we told have to accept it. So it's like, don't worry yourself about yeah, right. that. Just he acted, he, he did act like he was God, didn't he? Right. When he forgives sins. Right. And the powers, powers he had over nature, calming the storm, healing the sick, by his word, just speaking the word. And, and even when he was doing godly things, he did them with he didn't lord anything. Right. right. It was never it was never look at me, look at right. what I'm doing. Exactly. And he was always giving uh, honor and glory to the Father whenever whenever he did the message from last week. He did everything with gentleness. Well, even when the rich young ruler came and said, Good teacher, Jesus, right. wait this morning. Call me good Paul. Right. Of course, I don't think that at that point he was really claiming that Jesus was God by calling him good. Right. But he's, he was trying to point out to him, you know, maybe, maybe this rich young ruler did, if he realized how good God was, that might have helped him realize that his money was not all that good either. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, yeah. you can't work out both gods, work out two gods, can you? You can't. Which one is really good? Which is better? Have a big bank account or have God in your life? The young ruler chose his, his path, you know. He said, I'll, I'll take the bank account. Well, let's see. Where do we go from here, guys? We believe in the Holy Spirit. That's been a tough one for Christians too. I had a guy that was in Sunday school class that I taught that argued with me was the difference between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost. And I always had a hard time <laughs> with that concept. He, he just didn't believe they were the same thing. <laughs> the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost? Ghost, yeah. He didn't. He, there was a difference between the two, and I never could figure out what he was, where he was coming from. Well, the ghost and spirit are, are the same word, but one has uh, uh, Anglo-Saxon roots and the other one has uh, Latin roots. Spirit comes from spiritus, which is Latin, the Latin word, almost the same. And the word ghost is an old Germanic or Anglo-Saxon word for spirit. It, it, they, they're just two linguistic traditions, and uh, when the King James Bible was translated, they decided, I guess, the word "ghost" was more commonly used. And, and that was just a, that was just an effort to to make it more understandable to to the people. Well, but that meant spirit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What we mean. But it was by a spirit. term that, that mean was more identifiable. Yeah. Right. Right. In other words, the, the, uh, the words mean, mean the same thing. They're just, uh, right. one comes from a very different languages. Uh, yeah.
Thank you.